Second Corinthians chapter eight. As we continue in our study of these two letters that were written to the church at Corinth and that are written for our admonition, for our exhortation, and for the glory of the Lord in our lives. Let's look at Second Corinthians chapter eight. I'm going to start at verse seven. I'm going to read down through verse fifteen. It says, Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all diligence, and in your love to us, see that you abound in this grace also. Speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others, and to prove the sincerity of your love. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. And herein I give my advice, for this is expedient for you, who have begun before, not only to do, but also to be forward a year ago. Now therefore perform the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to will, so there may be a performance also out of that which ye have. For if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man hath, and not according to that he hath not. For I mean not that other men be eased, and ye burdened, but by an equality, that now at this time your abundance may be a supply for their want, that their abundance also may be a supply for your want, that there may be equality. As it is written, he that had gathered much had nothing over, and he that had gathered little had no lack. The title of the message this morning is Proving the Sincerity of Your Love. Proving the Sincerity of Your Love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity we have to meet together, the beautiful day you've given to us, and and to pray that you would just meet with us and encourage us and strengthen us in our walk with you, and might we uh, be challenged and uh, encouraged in our giving, uh, that we know that whatever we do in laboring for the Lord is not in vain in the Lord. So, Father, just help us to be faithful, and I pray that your will be accomplished and you be glorified in our midst. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The church at Corinth was blessed with gifted people. Uh, in 1 Corinthians, I think it's chapter 1, he said that you come behind in no gift. So there was gifted people in this church, yet they had great spiritual problems and divisions in the church. Among themselves, even to the point where Paul rebuked them and said, Are you not carnal and walk as men? In other words, you act like unsaved men. And here again in 2 Corinthians 8, he addresses the issue or cause of this carnality, and that is a lack of genuine love for the Lord. You see, they had gotten sidetracked. We know this from verse Corinthians. Some were following, and their focus was on Paul. Others, it was Apollos, and others, it was Cephas. Of course, then there was others who pride themselves in following Christ. But they are all arguing and bickering about which one they should follow. And Paul said, we're all servants of the Lord. We all preach the same thing. Stop following personalities and follow the truth. And that was the problem, the root of the problem. It was a lack of genuine love for the Lord, which demonstrates itself. See, love for the Lord demonstrates itself in genuine love for another, one another. In fact, uh, 
1 John 3, verse John 3, verse, 1 John, well, I'm looking for a verse here, but I can't find it. Uh, 1 John 3, 16 says, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. And so Paul's telling them, and writing them, and of course this context here, he's talking about the giving that was, that he was encouraging the churches, the Gentile churches, to give toward the church of Judea because of, there was a dearth there, there was a famine, and the persecution. So they were in very bad straits financially, they were destitute, uh, in, in, in abject poverty, uh, you know, hunger and things because of the, and not only because of the famine, but the persecution, you know, again, understand the context of the time which you're living, that many of those church members lost their livelihoods because they got saved. They were cut off from family and inheritance and, 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 and avenues and means of making a living, and so they had to start over. And so this was a great time of testing for the churches at Jerusalem. So Paul is encouraging them, uh, in this matter, which they had promised to do earlier and had never done. And he's telling them, look, prove the sincerity of your love. You see, love proves itself not just in our giving of money. And really, that's the idea of Macedonian churches. Their, their giving was they gave of themselves. They gave of themselves. And so to prove means to test, to examine, to deem worthy. Uh, it, and he says to prove the sincerity, it means, you know, sincerity, of course, means whether it's true or genuine, if you're sincere. And, of course, love, the word love refers to brotherly kindness, uh, benevolence, and so on and so forth. So I want to notice several things here this morning. First of all, the explanation of love in verses 7 and 8. He says, therefore, as you abound in everything, in faith, in utterance, in knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love to us, see that you abound in this grace also. Speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others to prove the sincerity of your love. Now, why don't you notice, first of all, what love is not? It's not faith. It's not faith. He said, you, you, you have, you have, you've, you abound in faith. Now prove your love. So love is not faith. The word faith here means a fidelity or conviction to the truth of anything. It's a belief. It, it's a, it's a, it's a conviction or convi- you're convinced of something and there's an inheritance, an inherence to fact or details. There's loyalty there. And of course, he wrote to them in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 2, and he says, you can have all faith, but you have not charity, which is another word for the love, same meaning, you're nothing. So it's not faith, though faith is needed and faith is good. It is not good oratory or speaking ability or witness ability. Utterance, that's what the word utterance means. It means a word uttered. It's uttered by a living voice. It embodies a conception or idea. So you could be the the most fervent about soul winning and 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 being witness, but that's not what love is. And you can do that without love. Not everyone that preaches the gospel has pure motives. 
Look at Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1 and verses 15 through 18. Philippians 1 verse 15 through 18 where Paul says this. Of course, this is a prison epistle. He's writing from prison. And he says this. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife. And some also of goodwill. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add afflictions to my bonds. So, so it's like they're, they're, they're in, they're in opposition to Paul. Again, go back to the Corinthian church. They were in opposition to each other. Says, one said, I'm following Apollos. Another said, I'm following Peter. And the other said, well, I'm following Paul. Paul said, we're all laborers together with God. How can this be? See, some preach out of envy and strife, some of goodwill, but the of the other of love, knowing that I am set to defense of the gospel. What then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I will there and do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. He wasn't saying he condoned those preaching out of envy or preaching out of contention, but he was glad that the gospel was heard because the gospel was what will bring forth unto repentance. It's not the messenger. And see, the messenger can utter it and not be out of love. I had a friend from Boston. We were talking about some of the things that goes on in Baptist churches. And he told a story of a, I think it was in New Hampshire, where was a pastor who was... Uh, indicted for, I think, child molestation. It's an independent Baptist church. In court record, they asked him about his doctrine. Now, this little guy would be preaching, soul winning. And it's what he said. I don't believe all that stuff. And I said, well, why are you a pastor then? He says, because it gives me control over people. See, not everybody preaches this gospel out of love. So love is not good oratory or good speaking ability. Love is not knowledge. Again, he says, you know, you, you, you're not behind in, you, in everything. Your faith, utterance, knowledge... Knowledge has to do with understanding or intelligence concerning God. And again, knowledge is necessary. But without knowledge, how can one be saved? We have to have an understanding of who God is, of course, to be born again. But Paul warned the Corinthians that knowledge puffeth up. Knowledge without love puffeth up. You know, it can be cold, insensitive, without compassion, without concern. Again, 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 2, Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and have all faith so that I can remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. Nothing. It's not knowledge, nor is it great intentions. He says, Faith, utterance, knowledge, and in all diligence. The word diligence here has the idea of earnestness or great intentions or desires. 
You know, Saul was very earnest in his defeating of the Philistines. He was very earnest in retaining his kingdom. And he was earnest, had an appearance of earnestness in his worship of God. Even to the point where he drove all the witches out of the land of Israel. You would say he was zealous for the Lord. But his earnestness in retaining the kingdom was in rebellion against God. Well, he was zealous. No one's been more zealous for their faith or system of belief than the Jews. Zealous to the point that they crucified the Son of God. They had great intentions. Herod's, Herodias' daughter was very zealous. And this is how the word's used. It's also described as, defined or translated as haste. Mark 6.25 says, She came in straightway with haste unto the king and asked, saying, I will that you give me, get that thou give me by and by in a charge of the head of John the Baptist. Diligent. And so, love is not faith. Knowledge, utterance, or great intentions. Although these are, these are good things. But love is, love is giving. It's really giving. It's giving of oneself. You know, when we, when we think of giving, we think automatically of money. Of money. And that can be part of it. But God doesn't want our money. He wants us. Because if he has, if we give him ourselves, he also have our money. But he'll have more than our money. He'll have our time. He'll have our abilities. He'll have, he'll have our desires, our interests. You see, he'll have so much more than just the money. God wants us to give us, give of, and that's really what the word love means. It's a giving of oneself. It's goodwill of love to men, especially that love of Christians towards Christians, which is enjoined and prompted by their religion. The word love, agape, way of life encyclopedia defines it this way, referring particularly to giving sacrificial love as God's love for man. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. What did he do? He gave himself for us. The Bible says he gave himself for us to redeem us from all iniquity. So love is giving. You know, sometimes people would give out of things, give of their money to get out of things they don't want to do. You know, sometimes we may give money to be relieved of any further responsibility. No, God wants us to give ourselves. And that's what, you know, in context of this passage, in, in the, uh, verse five, it says, and this they did, not as we hope, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. So this is what love really is. It's a giving of oneself. It, this, this proves the sincerity of our love. Romans 
Love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. It's interesting, it says love worketh. That means it energizes, it's the power. Love works for the benefit, the well-being of those around us. John fifteen thirteen. Greater love hath no man than this, than to lay down, that a man lay down or give his life for his friends. You have all these things we've mentioned already, faith, utterance, knowledge, diligence, and earnestness and all that. You know, these were present and active in the church of Corinth, and those, those were good things. They were not wrong. However, they were not being used beneficially because they were not governed by love. They still had these divisions, these schisms in the body, even though they had people of great faith, of great knowledge, of great speaking ability, and they were very sincere and diligent about these things, and yet they had these divisions. You see, love is what governs all these other things and makes them profitable. Again, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, and again, that's the word agape, same word translated love in our passage. Have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal, and though I have the gift of prophecy, that's preaching, and understanding all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I can remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to burn and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Galatians 5, 6, For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith, again, which worketh by love. In other words, that word worketh means that's its energy. That's what gives faith life, meaning, help. You know, I've used the illustration before, years ago, I, I preached in a church. And I'd been to this church quite a few times. It's an independent Baptist church. I knew the pastor quite well. And I preached there. First time I preached there, I thought, this is really interesting. You know, the people all filed in Sunday morning, kind of shook my hand, walked right on by, and kept on going, went to their, all their seats. They, we went, had Sunday school, and, and I preached the service, and in five minutes, they were all gone. They just filed by me, and out the door they went. Oh, boy. They had sound doctrine. There's something missing. You know, they didn't stand around and fellowship with one another. They just, I mean, as soon as the preaching was over, they were, they were out the door. I mean, this is probably 100 people, not 25. I mean, 100 and some people, they were out the door. In five minutes, they were gone. I thought to myself, this reminds me of the first Church of the Iceberg, pastored by Jack Frost. That's what I thought. 
It was cold. They had knowledge. They knew what was right. But they lacked genuine love. They lacked it. First Timothy 1.5 says, Now the end of the commandment is charity. Now, we would say the bottom line is this. Well, that's what the end of the commandment means here. The bottom line is this. Charity out of a pure heart. That is the heart of the matter. Charity or love. Galatians 5.14 For all the love is fulfilled in one word, even this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So yeah, Corinth, you got faith, you got utterance, you got knowledge, you got diligence, you know, all those things. It doesn't do you much good if you don't have love. And love is giving of yourself. Not just your finances, your time, your talents, your care and concern for other people. Then notice, secondly, the example of love, or we might say giving, verses 9 through 12. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Now, we see here the example of Christ, and of course we see what we see is the giving of himself. He gave himself, he became poor, that we through his poverty might be rich. You know, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8 says, Let this mind be also in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon himself the form of man, and was made in the likeness of men, being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So, though rich, Christ voluntarily became poor so that we might be made rich in him. He was rich in power, yet he surrendered his power to be obedient to his Father's will. He was rich in glory, yet he laid aside his glory. He was rich in honor, yet he surrendered his honor to become a man like unto us. In John chapter 17, verses 1 through 5, in his prayer, before he returned, before he was crucified, he says this, These words spake Jesus, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. See, he had glory. He had power. He had honor. And he loved us and demonstrated that by giving himself. He didn't just say, oh, here, have some glory. Here, have some of my power. Here, have some of my honor. He became 
like unto us. He suffered the limitations, the hardships, the trials of human life. Sorrow, seeing loved ones die. He endured all that. He suffered all that. He chose to endure that so that we, through Him, might be made rich. You see, He gave Himself, not just of His attributes that He had. He gave Himself. And you know, if you have Christ, you have riches. That adversity, trials and tribulations of life, pressures of this world, cannot take away from you. The peace of God, the assurance of life everlasting, the blessed hope based on the promises of God. You see, they are God-given and they are God-kept. They cannot be taken away from us. Romans 5.8, God commendeth, that is, he demonstrated his love to us in that while we yet sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John 4.10, here is love, not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So he gave of himself. We have also an example of a pledge in giving. Notice verses 9 through 11. Notice verses uh, 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 10 through 11. It says, and here and I give my advice, for this is expedient for you, who have begun before, not only to do, but also be forward a year ago. Now therefore perform the doing of it, that there was a readiness to will, so there may be a performance also out of that which ye have. Now, Paul was reminding the Corinthians here of a pledge they made concerning this giving for the brethren in Judea a year ago. It was a pledge they made. But something had delayed their fulfillment of this pledge. Most likely, the lack of love amongst the brethren, which was evidenced by the divisions in the church and the contentions that were there. They still had all the other gifts, but they lacked a heart of love, evidenced by their lack of giving and fulfilling their pledge. See, the problem wasn't the pledge. The problem was a genuine, a lack of genuine love. You know, some people say, well, maybe we should not pledge. And there is the failure of fulfilling our pledge. You know, we do faith promise missions pledge here. The faith promise missions pledge, you know, we make in March is for the following year gives, is for giving to the missions upon which our missionaries depend upon to enable them to take the gospel to other parts of the world. A pledge is a solemn promise or agreement to do something. You know, it's, it's something delivered as security for payment of a debt or fulfillment of a promise. And you know, God pledged to us a Redeemer. Genesis 3.15, he says, I will put an end between me and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, thou shalt bruise his heel. So this, this, the gospel there is in, in the fact that God said, the seed of the woman is going to bruise the head, is going to deal a death blow to Satan, and of course that's where Christ died to deliver man from the power of death. Uh, Isaiah 53.3, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Isaiah 61.1, Good tidings to the meek. 
He was sent to bring good tidings to the meek, to bind up the brokenhearted, claim liberty to the captives. Revelation 13.8 says he was a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. See, God pledged to send the Redeemer to redeem us from our sins. We have the pledge of the Holy Spirit, the promised one. John 16.7, Jesus said, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go not away, go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I would depart, I will send him unto you. And of course, we know from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, that the Bible says there that we have the earnest of the inheritance unto the per- redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. And of course, we are sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. That's the earnest. That's the pledge that, the, uh, that our redemption will one day be completed. One day we will go to be with the Lord. We will leave these vile bodies and be made like unto his glorious body. That's a pledge God has given to us. A promise. Paul is telling the Corinthians here, look, you pledged. That's a good thing. You need to fulfill it. You need to fulfill it. You know, we make pledges every day. The mortgage company gave me a loan based upon a pledge that I would make the payments. The electric company provides me with power on the pledge that I will pay my bill every month. Now, I work for people on the pledge they will pay me for my services. I usually don't get paid beforehand. You know, all these are risks that are taken daily. Uh, not we to pledge to give to God and His work. Would He be indebted to us? See, all that God asks of us is a performance in keeping with our ability. And so he says, perform the pledge. We see an example of willingness, verses 11 and 12. Again, now there perform the doing of it, that there was readiness to will, so there may be a performance also out of that which ye have. For if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man hath, and not according to that he hath not. You know, love indicates, one of the, one of the definitions of the word love said this about it, it indicates a direction of a will. In other words, a willing mind. And notice he says here, a willing, therapy first, a willing mind. It's, it's the idea of an inclination or a readiness or an eagerness. See, when we have the love of God manifested in us, there's a, there's a willingness, there's a readiness to do God's will. There's a desire to do it. Just like a child has that inclination to do evil because the, the human nature in them, you know, when we receive the Spirit of God through the new birth, the life of God in us, there ought to be an inclination to do the will of God. We still have that inclination to do evil too. We have to yield to the Spirit of God. A willingness. And we see the evidence of this, of course, in the Lord Jesus Christ. John 10, 17. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me. His life wasn't taken. It was given. 
He was given. He made himself of no reputation. He took upon himself the form of a servant. You know, Job declared that he chose to love God. He said this, Though he slay me, yet will I serve him. That was a choice. Paul chose to serve the Lord. Ephesians 1, 4, 1, he said, Die therefore the prisoners of the Lord. Now, that was a choice. Beseech you that walk worthy of the vocation wherever he called. You see, we, we get to serve God. We get to give of ourselves. We get to give of our possessions. It's a privilege. It's an honor to serve the King of kings and Lord of lords. And we ought to be inclined to do it. David Livington said this, quote, If a commission by an earthly king is considered an honor, how can a commission by the heavenly king be considered a sacrifice. We often say, oh, we just sacrifice for the Lord. We ought to consider it an honor to sacrifice for the Lord. If you are asked to be an ambassador to Canada, That would require that you move. Would you consider that a sacrifice or an honor? If you were asked of the Lord to take the gospel to England, would you consider that a sacrifice or an honor? See, there ought to be a willingness. A willingness. And then thirdly, the equality of love. Now don't get lost here. Verse 13 through 15. For I mean not that other men be eased and ye burdened, but by an equality that now at this time your abundance may be a supply of their want, that their abundance also may be a supply for your want, that there may be equality. As is written, he that had gathered much had nothing over, he that had gathered little had no lack. Now the gathering there in verse 15 is talking about those who gathered manna, and they were supposed to go out and gather enough for each day, and if one gathered much, he didn't have anything left. And the one that gathered little always had enough. The key here is understanding have no lack. You know, when we think of equality, we think everybody has to have the same. That's not what it's talking about. The key here is have no, have no lack. Let me try and illustrate this. Okay. okay. We here at Lighthouse Baptist Church, and I know some others that like to try and maintain enough funds for three months' expenses. You know, because we have, you know, there are, there are capital projects that could happen any time that require us to spend that amount of money and then we'd be depleted if, if we didn't have money in the bank, okay? For us, that may be, and I don't know for sure, but some maybe $15,000 in the bank. Now, for another church that's larger, maybe has 150 people, that may be 45000 in the bank. 
Now we could say, boy, they have a lot of money. But you know, their 45,000 could be depleted just as quickly as our 15. Because they have, not only to have a larger church and a larger bank account, they also have a larger budget. So you know what you could say, really, in reality? We're equal. Even though they have more than we do. Now, the case here is, it's not about equality, it's about a lack. Uh, you know, however, you know, even, even if we have 2,000 in a bank, our bills are paid, we don't have lack. Now, we may be concerned, but we're not lacking. It's when we cannot pay them the bills that we are in lack or in need. And see, the churches in Judea were in this situation. They couldn't take care of their expenses. Their people were going hungry. It wasn't that they had just enough to get by. They lacked some of the necessities of life. And so Paul said, look, you see, this is about, what this is about is meeting the needs, and that's the key word, the needs or the lack of the brethren. It's not that one be eased and another burden. In other words, you know, the word ease there means that they, you can sit back and not have to work. You know, that's the idea in America. We want, we want, the government wants us to provide for the needs of those that will not work. It's not what we're talking about here. Of course, this is the same thing that we saw earlier. The church of Jerusalem, when Barnabas brought money to provide for those who were without. This is really coming down to, what it comes down to is bearing one another's burdens. Verse 13, 14, again, For I mean not that other men be eased and ye burdened, but by equality that now at this time your abundance may be a supply for their want. These people were in want. They needed help. Not because they were lazy or were not endeavoring to meet their needs. They didn't have the means to do it. Verse John 3.16 Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Verse 17 But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? Notice it says, this this, this stood out to me, he shutteth up his bowels of compassion. He didn't say he shut up his purse. He shut up his bowels of compassion. Oh, she don't care. Because if you have care, if you're inclined to give, you're going to find some way to give. Now, it may not be much. 
because you may not have much. The Macedonians didn't have much, but they gave what they could. You see, the question is, what is your attitude toward giving? You know, we live in a world of over 7.8 billion people. Many of which are without God, without hope, and haven't heard that Christ died for their sins. That was raised again for their justification. If we shut up our bowels of compassion, can we say we have the love of God? That's why we have missionaries. And that's why we give to missionaries. And I believe that you can be commended for your giving for a church's size. We see giving. God wants just not only give our money. He wants to give us to give of ourselves. Our time. Our abilities. Use our words. Proof. See, prove the sincerity of your love. First John 3.18 says this, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed, in truth. It's more than just words. It requires actions. Actions. God so loved the world that He gave, He acted, gave Himself. So, proof, the sincerity of your love. Are you inclined? Are you have a heart inclined to give of yourself?